It was late in the afternoon of a cloudy, windy autumn day that I left the office of John Argyle, Esquire, in his company, to take tea and spend the evening in his family. I was a law student in the office, and was favored with more than ordinary kindness by him, on account of a friendship that had existed between him and my deceased father. When young men, they had started out in life together, in equal circumstances. One had died early, just as fortune began to smile, the other lived to continue in well-earned prosperity. Mr. Argyle had never ceased to take an interest in the orphan son of his friend. He had aided my mother in giving me a collegiate education, and had taken me into his office to complete my law studies. Although I did not board at his house, I was almost like a member of the family. There was always a place for me at his table, with liberty to come and go when I pleased. This being Saturday, I was expected to go home with him, and stay over Sunday if I liked. We quickened our steps as a few large drops were sprinkled over us out of the darkening clouds. "'It will be a rainy night,' said Mr. Argyle. "'It may clear away yet,' I said, looking toward a rift in the west, through which the declining sun was pouring a silver stream. He shook his head doubtfully, and we hurried up the steps into the house, to escape the threatened drenching. Entering the parlors, we found no one but James, a nephew of Mr. Argyle, a young man of about my own age, lounging upon a sofa. "'Where are the girls?' "'They haven't descended from the heavenly regions yet, uncle.' "'Dressing themselves to death, I expect. It's Saturday evening, I remember,' smiled the indulgent father, passing on into the library. I sat down by the west window and looked out at the coming storm. I did not like James Argyle much, nor he me, so that, as much as we were thrown together, our intercourse continued constrained. On this occasion, however, he seemed in excellent spirits, persisting in talking on all kinds of indifferent subjects, despite of my brief replies. I was wondering when Eleanor would make her appearance. At last she came. I heard her silk dress rustle down the stairs, and my eyes were upon her when she entered the room. She was dressed with unusual care, and her face wore a brilliant, expectant smile. The smile was for neither of us. Perhaps James thought of it, I am sure I did, with secret suffering, with a sharp pang which I was ashamed of, and fought inwardly to conquer. She spoke pleasantly to both of us, but with a preoccupied air not flattering to our vanity. Too restless to sit, she paced up and down the length of the parlors, seeming to radiate light as she walked, like some superb jewel, so lustrous was her countenance and so fine her costume. Little smiles would sparkle upon her lips, little trills of song break forth, as if she were unconscious of observers. She had a right to be glad. She appeared to exult in her own beauty and happiness. Presently she came to the window, and as she stood by my side, a burst of glory streamed through the fast-closing clouds, enveloping her in a golden atmosphere, tinting her black hair with purple flushing her clear cheeks and the pearls about her throat. The fragrance of the rose she wore on her breast mingled with the light. For a moment I was thrilled and overpowered, but the dark blue eyes were not looking on me. They were regarding the weather. "'How provoking that it should rain tonight,' she said, and as the slight cloud of vexation swept over her face, the blackness of night crossed over the gleam of sunset so suddenly that we could hardly discern each other. The rain will not keep Moreland away, I answered. Of course not, but I don't want him to get wet walking up from the depot, and Billy has put up the carriage in view of the storm. At that moment a wild gust of wind smote the house so that it shook, and the rain came down with a roar that was deafening. Eleanor rung for lights. Tell Cook to be sure and have chocolate for supper, and cream for the peaches, 
she said to the servant who came in to light the gas. The girl smiled. She knew, in common with her mistress, who it was preferred chocolate and liked cream with peaches. The love of a woman, however sublime in some of its qualities, never fails in the tender domestic instincts which delight in promoting the comfort and personal tastes of its object. "'We need not have troubled ourselves to wear our new dresses,' pouted Mary, the younger sister, who had followed Eleanor downstairs. "'There will be nobody here tonight.' Both James and myself objected to being dubbed nobody. The willful young beauty said all the gay things she pleased, telling us she certainly should not have worn her blue silks nor puffed her hair for us. "'Nor for Henry Moreland, either. He never looks at me after the first minute. Engaged people are so stupid. I wish he and Eleanor would make an end of it. If I'm ever going to be bridemaid, I want to be—' "'And a clear field afterward, Miss Molly,' jested her cousin.